This week's episode of the Art Tactic Podcast is brought to you by ArtBase. Did you know that ArtBase is the best love software in the art world? ArtBase offers products that do everything you need to run your art business. Track your art and your contacts and cross-reference them. Make invoices, generate consignments, run all kinds of reports, even use it on your iPad or iPhone at art fairs or while you're away. Take it from the thousands of happy ArtBase clients all over the world. ArtBase is the right software for your art business. Visit ArtBase.com to find out more. Thanks for listening to the Art Tactic Podcast. I'm Adam Green. This week's episode, we're here with Gareth Harris, Chief Contributing Editor at the Art Newspaper and Contributor to the Financial Times. Gareth spent the past week in Paris for the FIAC Art Fair, and he's joining us to recap the fair, and we'll also ask him a question or two about how Brexit may impact the UK art market. Gareth, it's great having you on. Hello. For listeners who haven't attended both FIAC and Freeze, how would you describe the major differences between the two fairs? FIAC is, is obviously more French. I think there were 52 French dealers this year at FIAC out of around 186 galleries. Freeze London, I suppose, is slightly smaller. There were just over 160 galleries, not counting Freeze Masters in the mix. But I guess the same kind of blue-chip high-end dealers attend both. Um, it's quite interesting because FIAC combines early 20th century modern art with contemporary art, whereas Freeze London focuses exclusively on contemporary art. But this changed, I suppose, with the launch of Freeze Masters in 2012, which focuses on works made prior to 2000. So there's a bit of a balance there. Freeze London presents works created mainly after 2000, although that can get a little, little bit blurred. There was a section this year at Freeze for art made in the 90s, for example, and that, that was extremely popular. And then the main, one of the major differences, really, and it's a very obvious thing to say, is the setting. Uh, the Grand Palais was built in nine, 1900 in Paris for the World's Fair, and it is a spectacular venue. People really love going to FIAC just to, just to see that, that venue. Uh, it's quite dramatic. Um, you know, FIAC sprawls out across the historic building. Uh, there was a new section this year for works dating from the 1970s on the first floor of the Grand Palais in a section, in, a, in, a, in an area of the building called the Salon Jean Perrin. But, the, I mean, they're quite similar in some ways. Both, have, both fairs have special sections for emerging galleries. Both run extensive public programs. Um, the Free Sculpture Park was great this year. There were some, some excellent works in, in Regent's Park by Conrad Shawcross and Lynn Chadwick. But FIAC's upped its game, though, as well on that front. Uh, the, the, sort of pedest- the zone outside the Grand Palais was pedestrianized this year, and it turned into a sort of public art park. There was a textbook by Lawrence Wiener. And then in the Petit Palais opposite, another historic building, FIAC organizers installed more than 30 works by some key artists, such as Damien Hurst and Barry Flanagan. So their kind of off-site program is very good as well. You wrote in the art newspaper about the lack of U.S. collectors who attended FIAC this year. What were some of the reasons why they are missing from this year's edition? Um, it was very interesting. What, what was immediate, immediately noticeable when, when, as I was walking around the fair is that there were not that many American collectors there, and, and dealers <clears throat> sort of highlighted a number of different reasons for this. Some said it was because of the change in dates of London's Freeze Fair, Freeze Art Fair, um, the, the dates were brought back this year because of the Jewish holiday Yom Kippur. So 
for the first time in, in many years, there was a week, a week, a gap of a week between Fries and FIAC. U.S. Uh, collectors and other international collectors usually travel straight from one to the other. But this year, there was a week-long gap, and I think that made it slightly more impractical for some U.S. collectors who perhaps had to eventually choose between Fries or FIAC. They didn't have the time or perhaps the money <laughs> to go to both. Um, and also, I think, being very blunt, I think the terrorist attacks across France in the past year have had an impact on, on, on the market. And I think that may have deterred some U.S. collectors from traveling. Um, and also, there is a climate of uncertainty at the moment. I, I don't think the talk about Brexit really helps <laughs> and the psychological impact of Brexit and the sort of UK government stance at the moment about a hard Brexit, possible hard Brexit, I should say. So this is all adding to the uncertainty. So, you know, the, the, those are some reasons why US collectors perhaps didn't show out, in, didn't turn up in large numbers this year at FIAC. And despite the minimal number of established American collectors at the fair, how did it end up doing from a sales perspective at the end? It was, I think, sales were pretty healthy, actually. I mean, most of the sales I reported in the art newspaper, I, I did a web report, were made to Europeans. Um, one of the first dealers I saw was was the Paris-based dealer, Tadeus Ropak, and he said very very openly, oh, there are five good U.S. collectors here, <laughs> meaning that there were no more, really. But he said that almost all of the works on his booth had sold to, to core Europeans, so pieces by Tony Cragg, Jan Peming, Robert Longo, they were all bought by Parisian collectors, which I thought was really interesting. And George Bazalet's painting, Guidiamo, um, that was sold to a German buyer. That was priced at 500,000 euros. And today, Astropac said it's been a success because it means that Fiat can succeed without U.S. support. I think he's got a very good point there. I think because the European turnout was so strong, you know, it really did, did help and boost the fare. And there were lots of other key sales. I mean, I spoke to the New York dealer, Anton Kern. He sold a number of pieces by the Los Angeles artist, Matthew Monaghan. Um, I went to the Lehman Morpin Gallery. They're based in New York. And they sold works by the South Africa-based artist, Lisa Liu. Uh, Daniel Tomplon Gallery in Paris had done very well. They sold works by Jim Dine and Kahinda Wiley. To Parisian buyers again. So it's, it's that European thing again. Uh, Max Hetzler Gallery had sold Ai Weiwei's Iron Tree Trunk piece at the VIP preview for, for more than a million euros, I understand. So I think it was, it was pretty healthy market-wise because the European buyers were, you know, had descended on the fair and, and seemed to be spending quite a lot of money, to be honest. <laughs> and we also mentioned you recently wrote about Brexit and its potential impact on the UK art market, so we wanted to ask you a question or two about that. What are some of the major aspects of the UK art market that may actually be impacted by Brexit? Well, it's a huge question. I mean, this is all a little bit up in the air at the moment. And, and like many other business sectors in the UK, people are just wait, you know, waiting to see what will happen and to see what kind of deal the UK government strikes. That could take a long time. That could take a number of years. But I think the most important thing is the impact on ta taxes, um, and custom duties regulated by the European Union. That, that remains to be seen. And, and the biggest issue there really is import VAT or VAT, which, which stands at around 5% in the UK, compared with, say, 5.5% in France 
and 7% in Germany. So import VAT is going to be a huge issue for the art market. And, and the UK will, in theory, have the freedom to reject import tariffs, perhaps set as one flat rate by the Euro- European Union. It could end import VAT on art altogether, or it could impose a, a more complex system of tariffs and duties depending on its level of access to the um, single market. So this is all to be decided, of course. It's quite complex. Um, The second issue, which is of huge importance for the market, is the artist resale rights, which is called droit de suite. So to sort of clarify that, since 2011, dealers and auctioneers in, in, in EU member states, including the UK, they have to pay the heirs or estates of artists deceased in the past 70 years, up to 4% of the sale price of work sold for more than €1,000. <laughs> so they have to make sure they pay the heirs and the estates. Um, but several UK art professionals, you know, I spoke to quite a few art professionals who say the law does really little to benefit less advantaged artists. And, and they're kind of hopeful that that droit de suite will be overhauled. But obviously artists and estates will fight to keep their royalties. So it'll be interesting to see how that one pans out. And then there's just a very basic issue of uh, how, whether artists and galleries, how freely they can relocate to and from London. You know, freedom of movement is a big part of the Brexit debate. And I think people, especially artists, you know, are now concerned about uh, about moving to London and whether they should move to London. So we'll have to see how they, all this pans out. As I said, it's just a climate of uncertainty. And as one art advisor said to me in the UK, ultimately it's the collectors who drive the market and it may be the currency fluctuations have the greatest impact on those collectors. So we will have to wait and see. But um, at the moment, it's, you know, we may have to wait a long time to see how this develops. Yeah. And is anyone in the UK preparing in any way or <clears throat> is it more, as you said, simply waiting to see what happens? Well, I think it's very interesting. I think at the moment, dealers are surprisingly upbeat. So I spoke to a London dealer who specializes in contemporary African art. His name is Jack Bell. He says the general feeling is that the world is an end in. And that, that comes across quite a lot, actually. The, the, the art market is proving surprisingly buoyant, actually. It is very buoyant at the moment. Uh, the auction houses say they have no plans to relocate any part of their operations to the continent. So that all sounds fairly positive uh, at the moment. But, uh, but whether the government will secure a good Brexit deal for the UK art market is, is another matter completely. Um, I spoke to uh, an art historian called Ben Grosvenor, and he says so far there's not been any indication that the UK government thinks the art market is something worth fighting for. And he says that's very alarming, given just how much give and take there will be in the negotiations to come. So he sounds a little pessimistic. We'll have to wait and see. Um, you know, he said those who, thinks, who think it will be a case of simply presenting a wish list of demands are just being naive. So at the moment, people are, I mean, perhaps they're not really facing the problem head on because things seem okay generally. But as, as Bendor Grosvenor says, we do have to start thinking about how the government will, will, will focus on the oil market in the future and, and what the consequences could be. Gareth, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and recapping and sharing your thoughts on FIAC as well as how Brexit may impact the UK art market. 
Um, it's both very insightful. And if our listeners want to check out your writings, they can always do that in the art newspaper as well as the Financial Times. And you're also on Twitter, uh, frequently tweeting about the art markets. If our listeners want to follow you on Twitter, what's your Twitter uh, account handle? Uh, the handle is uh, Gareth Ha, so that's G-A-R-E-T-H-H-A-R-R. Perfect. Gareth, I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks again to Artbase for sponsoring this week's episode of the podcast. Did you know that Artbase is the best love software in the art world? That's because Artbase offers products that do everything you need to run your art business. Track your art and your contacts and cross-reference them. Make invoices, generate consignments, run all kinds of reports. Even use it on your iPhone or iPad at art fairs or while you're away. Take it from the thousands of happy Artbase clients all over the world. Artbase is the right software for your art business. Visit artbase.com to find out more.